This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Kai Davis. Hey there. And I'm Reuven Lerner. And we will be speaking this week about why conversations. Jonathan, you are the king mm-hmm. of why conversations. So uh, how about you give, give, start it off and tell us what exactly uh, we're talking about here. Sure. So why conversation is sort of my name for a sales call when you're in a situation that I think a lot of freelancers are familiar with. You get an email from someone, potential client says, Hey, I understand you're good at whatever WordPress or Shopify or something. We need WordPress or Shopify or something. So let's jump on a call and uh, talk about this project that we've got coming up. And you say, cool. And, you know, maybe you go there in person or whatever. Um, or you call a Skype call, video call, whatever it is, you have a meeting, like a, a live voice meeting. And that is really, that, that's what I call the why conversation. That's, you need to have a why conversation in that sales call to get at the underlying reason why the client wants to do this project now with you. Those are the three, three areas now, uh, this project now with you. So why this, why now and why me? So there's a lot of why questions happening, which for most people is a, a huge shift. It's a gigantic mental shift to make because what I used to do back when I built hourly, especially in a sales uh, call was try to find out what they needed done instead of why they needed it done because I was planning to put together an estimate based on hours. So I needed to know how long I thought it was going to take me to accomplish all the tasks that were going to be required to either complete the punch list of things they needed done or build the piece of software that they said they needed. And probably never did back then did I ask why they wanted it done. I was so happy to be on a sales call that I just wanted to find out what needed to be done. And then hopefully I would present a a proposal that had a competitive price uh, and they would, they would hire us to do the work. It's a huge mental shift to, to change away from having that basically a scope conversation and get to uh, the underlying root reason for the project engagement. It, it's really a shift from focusing on what is it you need me to do to, okay, let's have a business-focused conversation. Let's understand why this even is the route we want to take. Am I, am I right in that assessment? Mm-hmm. Right. So you're, you basically come into the, the sales meeting preparing to reject their self-diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always use a medical analogy here because I think it's so familiar to people. Uh, so, you know, you go to the doctor because your shoulder hurts. You don't go in and say, hey, doc, I need you to cut me open here. I need you to insert a scope to view my joint. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Uh, what's your hourly rate? You don't do that. <laughs> I'd love to ask my doc his hourly rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the face he would make or she would make is just be like comical. They'd be like, what are you even talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And, and medical, at least in the U.S., is extra complicated because of insurance and the way that it's paid for. And you don't even know. They don't even know how much it costs. So the, from a pricing standpoint, medical is not a great example. But the, the conversation, the, the diagnostic visit is a a really good metaphor for what I suggest that software developers do to increase the value of what 
of the engagement that they're talking about having to differentiate themselves from other people that they might be, the client might be considering and to set higher, more profitable uh, fees for both you and the client. So the way it usually goes, I'll sort of give you a rundown on how it goes and then you guys can sort of ask me questions where I missed stuff. But the idea is you go into a meeting, the client, the, the prospect has some notion of what they want you to do. And it's, it's, they've been thinking about it a lot. They probably had a bunch of meetings about it and they've got all these ideas. Uh, they might've even been trying to do it themselves for a while and they finally gave up because they couldn't finish it or it just wasn't working. And so they're going to brain dump for like 15 or 20 minutes about all of the specifics, all these little things. And when I'm in a situation like this, a lot of times I'm just frantically writing down notes and I don't even really understand what they're talking about. They might, they might, they tend to come in at a level of detail that's way too specific to even have a, a sense of what they're talking about. Like they'll leave out huge contextual pieces. So, but okay, you know, it might be inf useful information later. So I let them get it off their chest. I let them kind of exhaust this desire to evacuate all of this information. And at the end of that, I'll say, okay, that was very helpful. Thank you for that. Can we back up for a second and talk about some big picture things just to make sure I've got the right context for, you know, these specifics. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And I'll say, okay, why do you guys want to do this project at all? You know, like why not not do it? And they'll be like, well, obviously, blah, 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 blah. And they'll say something that is absolutely not obvious to me, but to them it is completely obvious. And it might be something like, well, uh, our, our customers are demanding that we have a more mobile friendly website or our biggest competitor just released a really popular app, something like that. Super obvious to them, completely not obvious to me. And I'll, I'll say, okay, uh, all right, that's a good motivation. It, what, why not just keep doing this the way you're currently doing it? So why not continue to do this manually? Why solve this with software? Why not solve it by hiring people? Uh, why not solve it by ignoring it? Why not solve it by, or not solve it by ignoring it, but why not just ignore it? You just kind of like throw all the potential objections at them. And it's a great way to help uncover the reason why they've decided that the way to solve this particular problem or capture this particular opportunity for their business involves a software project, any, somebody writing code or whatever you do, whether it's copywriting or design or illustration, why did they decide that that thing that they're considering hiring you for is the right way to address this problem or opportunity? And they'll usually have a pretty easy time answering this. This is usually the easiest one to get answered. They'll say, oh, we thought about, uh, we thought about hiring and just continuing to do this process manually, but that doesn't scale for us. And we've got uh, long-term growth plans that that doesn't map to. We'd have to you know, rent a larger office and we'd really rather just solve this with software and they'll pretty quickly, they'll, they'll convince themselves and you that the correct way to solve this problem is by applying the discipline that you have. So in my case, software development. Then the second thing is, okay, why do we need to do this now? You know, maybe, maybe they mentioned that they've been aware of this problem for six months or a year and they're only now just acting on it. I'll say, well, what changed? Why not continue to wait? Why not study it for six more months and make sure that it's going to be worth investing a ton of money with me to do anything about this? Uh, why do it now? And they'll almost always give you some reason why they need to do it now. Could be something like the CEO is, is on a rampage and he's going to fire everyone if we don't get this done finally. It could be, like I said before... Uh, a competitor has entered the space that is disrupting everything. It could be that, you know, who knows, but there'll be some reason why they need to do it right now, that it's urgent. If there isn't, then you know that probably it's not going to be, if, if it's not urgent for me, usually that means the deal's dead because they're just, they're just in, you know, tire kicking and they're just investigating what's out there. And I'm, I'm pretty much shut down uh, on the call if, if I find out that the project's not urgent. Mm -hmm. uh, then the last thing is like, okay, why would you hire someone like me to do this? Why not do this internally? Why not outsource it to, you know, uh, uh, Costa Rica or Croatia or the Ukraine? Why not do 
any one of these half a dozen cheaper options that they probably did consider, but I want to know why they decided against them. Mm-hmm. Why did they decide to contact me instead mm-hmm. of going to all these other places? And they might say, oh, well, yeah, we're talking to a few other places and we're you know, considering uh, getting proposals from Costa Rica. Or they might say, you know, we've done that in the past. It didn't really work. Uh, we want someone who's top notch. This is a very risky project. It needs to be done right the first time. Uh, so on and so forth. So anyway, when, at the end of all of these, all of these questions, I've essentially gone through the process of trying to talk them out of working with me. And if I have failed to do that, then they would have convinced themselves to work with me mm-hmm. that I am the solution, or at least a very, very a potentially uh, good solution. So it'll make sense for me to put together a proposal. Yeah, I'll stop there. I've been rambling. Uh, incredibly well, valuable. Uh, Ruben, please, you. So, so I've heard you talk about this before, and I read your newsletter, which I really enjoy. You've talked about it there, and and yet I, I struggle, and I've had this happen several times in the last few weeks. Even I, I don't really do that many projects anymore. But if someone calls me up, um, and I have a guy who works for me and does hourly uh, development work, so I'm not going to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, I mean, just a few days ago, someone calls me up and um, says, "Listen, we've got this project. We estimate it'll be about 100 hours of work." Um, what do you charge for that sort of thing? And all of my, in, so, so right. All of my instincts from, for so many years are, well, I'll give them an hourly rate, but like that's, even though I know that that's the wrong way to go about it, but how do I got, get this guy on the phone who's just called me up, who is willing to spend money? I don't know how much it might not be urgent. He might not have a budget and so forth, but how do I pivot him away from the, how much do you charge? Cause he's just like looking to, you know, find the basically the, the cheapest price for this development project that they've already decided how to do it. How do I pivot from that to let's talk about your business? Because I, I have tried that on a, a few occasions and it just comes off sounding weird. Like, well, listen I'm to what you just to- said. You, you just said if, if, he, if you're right and he is looking for the cheapest option, you don't want him. For sure. Oh, oh. And I'm convinced I'm convinced that I didn't want to work with this guy. That's for okay. sure. But. Um, it, it's been like, it, it started poorly and, and ended up worse. So I'm glad I didn't end up working with this. You know, you know, things are bad when he says, I'd like to pay you one Bitcoin. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I said, I'd actually like to be paid in real currency. Um, <laughs> so, so we probably weren't a good fit from the beginning if that's my attitude toward Bitcoin and that's what he wants to do. But yeah, but my, here's my the pivot. Point, yeah. My, how do I pivot? That, that's the thing. How do I stop him from sort of coming down like a ton of bricks on time and money and right change it into a business conversation you have to yeah you have to nip it in the bud with confidence immediately so if somebody somebody says exactly what they said to you i say oh, i don't have an hourly rate but i'd be happy to give you a project price for the work would you be interested in talking about that and if they it, you know and that's a minor pushback i'm i'm changing the power frame i'm saying no 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 that's not how i work and if if they you know bristle at that we're never going to be a good fit and the project would be a disaster because they're constantly going to be bossing me around. So I would push back on them the same exact way a doctor would if you asked, if, if you asked them to cut your shoulder open because I think there are spiders in there. <laughs> Happy Halloween, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so if, if you, you just have to say it quickly and with confidence, like it's just normal, like just that's not the way I work. I don't have an hourly rate. I don't have one. Not I prefer not to bill hourly and not, well, I used to bill hourly and it was 200 an hour, but I don't do that anymore. None of that. I don't have an hourly rate. I don't have an hourly rate. I don't have one. And if they say, well, how can you not have one? And I would say, well, how would I calculate it? And they're like, uh, market rate. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? How would I even find out the market rate? You know, it's impossible. If you, it doesn't pass the SNP test. Hourly billing makes no sense. So I just say to them, I don't have an hourly rate. Would you, I give fixed pricing for projects. Would you like to talk about the project? That's it. That's the quote. Everyone listening to this can memorize that. That's the answer. And if they, if they say no, we have to have an hourly rate because of our procurement process and we have to compare apples to apples, air quotes, then fine. Don't work with them. Or, you know, but if they, but in my experience, the vast majority of people, when you deliver that line, the vast majority is like, yeah, sure. That'd be fine. We, we just, they just assume that you bill by the hour 
Yeah, they just think right. they're doing the right thing. They think that's the question. And nine times out of 10 anyway, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Let's talk about the project. Very, very similar experience for me when somebody would contact me or somebody contacts me and says, hey, we want to work on a project together. How much is it going to cost or what's your hourly rate? I'll say, hey, before we even talk about the finances, I need to learn more about the project. And so the best next step, fill out my application form over here just so I get the base questions answered. And then if it looks like I'm going to be able to help, We'll schedule a call, talk about your project, and determine what the best next steps are. So similarly, I'm resetting the conversation, shifting the power frame, saying, hey, if you want an answer to this question, fill out this application form. And in most cases, I'll just flat out ignore any requests for what my hourly rate is and focus the conversation on if you're interested in working together, if you think that I'm somebody who could help you solve this problem, fill out the application form, I'll ask you a few questions, we'll get on a call, and then we'll see if we're a good fit to work on the project. And so sort of resetting it completely and moving it to an arena of, I want to understand the business reasons that motivated you to contact me, rather than responding to the direct question of, what is your hourly rate? Or what will this project cost? Yeah, and that's a, a very... I think reassuring way for people to think about it to just think, you know, I don't, I don't want to take your money. So they, they ask you a money question way, way too early. Mm -hmm. And my reaction to that is like, well, I don't want to take your money if I'm not the best fit here. So let's talk about whether or not I'm the best fit. So what do you need done? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you trying to achieve and have that conversation? I, I refuse to talk about money until uh, we get there, but it does come up a lot. So you do need to have a couple of judo moves ready to deflect the conversation into a direction that focuses back on their success. Like I'm not going to, you know, and, and I, and I put it in a way I'm sensitive to giving the impression that I'm trying to figure out how much money they got on them. Hey buddy, how much you got? What's you know? in the wallet? Yeah. How much you got? How right. Much you Which it definitely can. I mean, I mean, I think I've come off sounding that way sometimes when I say, well, it sort of depends on the project and, yeah. um, right. And then they're, they're thinking, aha, Right. He, he's going to check to see what kind of car I'm driving. And based on that, give me a rate. Yeah. Like I live I live in an upscale neighborhood called the East Side. And and we are all the neighbors talk about how, you know, like the landscapers give us the East Side rate, you know, because there's no way they're charging this money on the south side of town. <laughs> but it's it, so you want to you don't want to give that impression because it feels unfair it's ridiculous. It shouldn't, but it does. It's irrational because FYI, humans are very irrational. So the thing you want to do, I, I always frame everything in terms of wanting the project to be a success. So it's, it's bad for the project if I bill by the hour. I, Cause if you say, if, if I say to the client, Oh client, it's bad for you if I bill by the hour and they're like, no, 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 that's what we want. Then I've got no leg to stand on. It's like saying, it's like saying to the client, client, you shouldn't like hourly billing. And they're like, yeah, but we do. But if you say hourly billing is bad for the project, then that's different. They can't really argue uh, that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and they're like, oh yeah, we want the project to go well. Okay. Like if you say to the client, well, what would happen to you? What would your boss say if this project blew up in your face? Or what would your client say if this project blew up in your face? I'm not going to let that happen. If, if, if it turns out we're a good fit, I am not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize the project. And then they kind of can't, they can't say, well, we like hourly billing. I'll be like, well, that's bad for the project. So we're done talking here, or I can give you a fixed price for the project. So anyway, um, the, the, the problem that I see is that in the why conversation, People who are new to it are too quick to give up. They're too quick to jump to an assumption. So they'll do, they'll say something like, uh, well, why do you guys, why don't you guys just continue to do this manually? Why do you need to solve this with software? And they'll say, well, because the manual solution is really inefficient. And to a software developer, that's like, oh, okay, good reason. We're done here. <laughs> like, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> They're assuming that I, the software I, developer. I resemble that comment. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. The software developer hates inefficiency, <laughs> hates manual labor, and as soon as the client says that, they're like, "Yep, that makes sense." But you still don't have a business outcome. Okay, well, why do you need to be more efficient? Well, because reasons, reasons, reasons. 
Well, still, I feel like you could do that manually. Why not manually? Well, because, and then it'll get more specific, more specific. You have to ask why probably like five or six times to get down to something that a six-year-old would understand, mm-hmm. which is what you want. You want it to be, eventually there's almost, almost definitely there's going to be some money at the bottom of that question. You know, you're going to find some dollar signs in there somewhere that, that they, they, they have abstracted it away so much because they're so, they're already so far down the path by the time they start talking to me that all that stuff is like become this abstract background motivation and, and they're just in this super tactical mode and I need to get them all the way back to the beginning so I, so I can feel reasonably confident that the needle that they ultimately want to have moved is something I can move, number one. And number two is going to be beneficial to them in some way. So in, in a way that's going to justify my price, I mean. So in other words, deliver positive ROI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had one the other day. Let's see if I can remember it. So a student says to me, um, client, client came to me and said, you know, we want you to build this piece of software, this app. And he, you know, the student pushed back and said, well, why do you need that? And the, the client said, well, we, we need a better profile of our users. We want to understand our users better. And they, and then he, he kind of gave up around that point and started to talk scope features. Okay. Well, how are we going to get a better profile of the users? Okay, we need to do these things and these things and these things. It needs to be available offline. It needs to be, you know, highly available, blah, 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 blah. Features, 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 scope, scope, scope. And, and started the project, got halfway through the project, fixed price, got halfway through the project. And, and the client was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't going to do what we wanted. And we need to do something different. So they completely shift gears, like classic giant scope creep. And all these stakeholders from the client company were weighing in with like, well, maybe try this, maybe try that. I described it as, as, um, uh, backseat driving to nowhere. No. So they're, they're sort of like, you know, my student is sort of driving the bus and there's all these people in the back of the bus saying, turn left, no, try over there. It, and somebody just needs to say, just needs to tell the driver where they're trying to go, mm-hmm. but they don't even know where they're trying to go. And they're just sort of shouting directions from the back of the bus. And we're worse yet. Like when you're in that sort of, pro- if you're doing a fixed price project and the scope changes completely, now you're really in trouble. The software that they built, he thinks will never be used because they realized Essentially, the the project, the build process, essentially turned into an extremely expensive di- discovery session. So the and I said, yeah, well, because you never found the business outcome at the very beginning. You know, mm-hmm. the business outcome at the beginning should have been something like, why do you need to understand your user profiles better? Well, because we're afraid we're not delivering value in in subsequent years. Like we deliver a lot of value in the first year, and we we don't deliver a lot of value in subsequent subsequent years. How do you know that? I would have asked, well, because, you know, and they would give me some answer and be like, well, okay, you've now convinced me that you are measuring something that shows, uh, that you're delivering less value in subsequent years. Why don't you just lower your price in the subsequent years? Why do any software project at all? Like, well, we don't want to do that. It'll, it'll, um, it'll devalue our brand. Okay. How can you increase the value in the subsequent years? Like who cares about learning more about the user profile? That's not the problem. The problem is they're worried about churn because the value that they deliver over multiple years goes down. So the problem isn't figuring out how to, I don't know, trick the users into like to predict churn or something, deliver more value or lower your price. Like you don't have to do anything really, you know, you don't have to do anything software wise necessarily. So I would have went down a path like that with this client and then maybe they would have said, oh, we can't do that because there's something about, you know, maybe there's something about their business that I don't understand. Like, well, we can't deliver more value in subsequent years. It's all front loaded in that, you know, maybe I say, okay, well maybe adjust the pricing. Like I would try and find for them as if I was the owner's best friend, I would try to find for them the cheapest possible way to solve the problem. I would go down every road. Why not do this manually? Why not change your pricing? What, you know, blah, 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 blah. Why not, you know, ask your client, but whatever it is. 
change the focus of the business to try and get more first year clients and don't worry about churn. You know, whatever I would, I would try every avenue. And then once we've exhausted all of those, I'd be like, these people need me really bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have a, you can imagine, dear listener, if you have a conversation like that, you know, why this, why this, why this, why do this software project at all? And you explore every possibility. What else have you considered? How else have you tried to do this? How, how else have you tried to um, solve this problem? Eventually, in the course of that conversation, money is going to come up and they're going to, it's, you're going to know by the end of the conversation that it's either a big deal or a little deal. And if it's a big deal, you send them a proposal with a fixed price. That's, that's probably got on it. What you think is an insanely high amount of money attached to it based on how long you think it's going to take you to move that needle that's been specified. And they'll probably say yes. Because you've articulated, you know, you've, you guys have explored every possibility. They've explained why you're the only option. They've, they've, in, in their own minds, they've anchored high on what the the benefit of the engagement is, and, and all of that stuff. And then the final awesome part about this is that the business outcome that they want, whether whether you landed on decreased churn or increased customer satisfaction or customer value in subsequent years, whatever the thing is. That's not going to change like in six weeks. They're not going to suddenly be like, oh, you know what? We don't care about customer value. We change what we care about. It's like changing what kind of person you're attracted to. It doesn't change. It is like, it doesn't change quickly. It's like something that might change slowly over time. But the business isn't suddenly going to be like, you know what? We don't really care about our customers anymore. That was our, that was last (laughs) month. (laughs) So if you can, if you can, that, I mean, that's how you, that's how I control scope creep when I'm on a fixed price project because the business goals aren't going to change that much. So when the VP of sales comes in and says, we need a carousel on the homepage of the mobile website, I'll be like, well, how is that going to contribute to this goal that we've all agreed is the goal? Mm-hmm. And the VP of sales will either give me a good reason or not give me a good reason. Do you, if, is that the sort of pushback you give to your clients? Like yeah, you're constantly the reminding them what is the goal? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, all the time. And I, and I, I, like I said before, I frame it in, in terms of the, pro, uh, the project. From the very beginning, I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the guardian of the project that is in your best interest. I'll tell them in advance before we even have signed a deal that I'm going to tell them no about certain things, because if I don't, the project's going to fail. And if this project fails, then it was a giant waste of my time. Yeah, I got your money. I don't want your money. I want your customer satisfaction. I want your testimonial. I want your referrals. And if this project fails, I'm not going to get any of those things. Mm-hmm. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. I agree 100% with what you're saying here. What I often see as the sticking point for freelancers and consultants as they get started asking either why-focused conversations or business outcome-focused conversations is it's an entirely new language library. You're learning how to speak a new language. You've spent Mm -hmm. years saying, okay, I'm a freelancer. They come in. They want an hourly quote. Let's talk specs. Great. We're done. Here's the proposal. Signed. Done deal. But now it's learning an entirely new way of communicating to understand the business outcomes, what do you recommend as those first initial steps or those quick wins for somebody to get started with this? You're 100% right. This is a huge mind shift. It's, it's, it's really hard to shift your, your language in a business context in this direction, but huge but, you probably are 100% capable of this language in your personal life. 
So it's not that you don't have the language, it's that you don't normally apply it in this situation because you're probably desperate to close the deal. Mm-hmm. You're probably desperate mm-hmm. to please them by complying with their requests because you think that's good for them. It's not. And this, the way that I try to frame it, I don't know if this makes it easier to do, but I think it makes it easier to understand is imagine that the person you're talking to is not actually talking to you about hiring you. They're talking to you about hiring someone and you're one of their friends. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've, I've, I've genuinely, honestly, hundred percent feel like I've transcended to the point where I treat prospects like I, I, there's no difference in my mind when I'm on a sales call with somebody as last week, I talked to a fortune 500 retailer that has, but you know, big box chain stores all over the United States. Would that be a, a great project for me? Yeah, it would be, I'd probably make my entire year in one engagement. It would be huge. But it will fail if I screw up this first meeting. So if I, when I'm talking to them, I'm always acting like I might not end up doing the project. I probably won't end up doing the project. The odds are low. So I'll say, you know, why do you guys really meet? You have a CTO. Like, why not, why not just have that person do this? Like, why are you guys even talking to me? Why are you guys even thinking about doing this with software? You've got way bigger fish to fry. I looked at your mobile app. It's a disaster. You're talking about augmented reality. Your app doesn't even open. It, it takes 10 seconds for your app to launch on my brand new iPhone. You know, so I'll just talk them out of everything. Like you've got all these ideas about how they want to transform the retail experience. And, and if you're listening, folks, <laughs> client, uh, this, this is, you, you know, this is the kind of conversation I had, you know, it's like it, they, they're probably listening to this and that's cool because that this is a hundred percent honest truth. Like, yes, I recognize that what you want to have done here is interesting. It would be super cutting edge, but you're not there. We need to crawl before we pole vault. And, you know, I see you guys not executing on the basics. So let's focus on the basics first. Here are some ways that we can do that. But if, if we jump straight to augmented reality, it's going to be a joke. And in fairness, I put it a lot more politely on the phone call, but, but that, <laughs> that is, that was the message. You know, they wanted me to do, I'm not sure they knew what they wanted me to do. I'm not sure if they even knew exactly what they wanted me to do, but it, but things like augmented reality were discussed and some really, really hard things were discussed. And I, I said, do you guys really believe that your organization is set up in a way to support these kinds of things? Like, do you have real time access to the inventory in every store? I would be shocked if you said yes. And they're like, no, we don't I'm like, okay, well that would be a prerequisite for, for what you're talking about here. Okay. You know, anyway, so the, that was just a, a, I was trying to give people a sort of mental picture of an actual situation where I was saying the things that I'm referring to when I say talk them out of working with you, treat it like there's no money to be made here. And they just are your good friend who called you up to ask your advice about something they're thinking about doing and, and just treat it like that. You probably have that language to back to Kai's point. You probably have that language because if, if your brother asked you, Hey, I'm thinking about, you know, and then insert crazy idea here. These penny stocks, man, uh, they're going to go up overnight. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Bitcoin, Ethereum, it's going to be huge. You know, you, you have the language to probably, I mean, most people I think probably have the language to have the right kind of conversation with a loved one or a, uh, someone they're close with or a colleague, that sort of tough love conversation of just to confirm, push back enough to confirm that they've thought everything through, that they've got some kind of goal, you know, that they're not just going off half cocked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the tricky part, to Kai's point, and it's a hundred percent tricky, totally correct, is taking that mindset and applying it to a sales conversation, especially when you barely are getting any leads because you're going to be desperate to do anything to please these people to get the job because you don't know how you're going to pay your car payment. You need the money. You haven't had a lead in six months. 
So you, you price yourself too low. You give them a ridiculously low hourly rate. You'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Just write me a check. And that ends up being, you know, that ends up turning out as you might imagine, just a bad employment arrangement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it seems like there's, you were absolutely highlighted like the double-edged sword here where if you're in a position of scarcity, it's very easy to not ask these questions, do not go through the proper process to understand why exactly do they need this project? What's the benefit of this project? Like, I I love your framing of the goal is to talk the client out of the project or talk the client out of hiring you for the project. Because if you're able to make it through that gauntlet, you've eliminated a majority, if not all of the objections and now completely and clearly understand what the client needs and what will help get the client there. But it's challenging if you're saying exactly to your point, hey, I have a mortgage payment due in two weeks. I need money. Mm-hmm. Great. What's the spec? Send the check over. It's, I, I think like it's not a transition that necessarily happens overnight, nor should it be, because it is mm-hmm. learning a new way of communicating with clients, learning a new way of asking questions. And so it might be you are starting to implement these practices and implement these questions and use why conversations and still retain some of the old not so excellent but okay habits. And over time, as you start working with better, higher paying clients, say, hey, you know what, I'm going to cut off Anybody who says, hey, I just want to, I want your hourly rate and that's it. And I won't respond to a why conversation here and instead focus on those higher quality clients, almost incrementally improving the quality of client you work with to get to the point where you could just wholesale say, this is the methodology we have to go through. We're going to have a why conversation. Maybe we do a road mapping session, but that's what it takes to work with me. Yeah, I'm nodding vigorously. It's, it's absolutely a transition. Charlie, I can't, I can't stop thinking about what you had mentioned sort of way back where when someone asks you about your hourly rate, you don't want to say, and I think I make this this mistake, um, you don't want to say, well, I prefer not to work hourly or <laughs> I sometimes work hourly right? because they're just, they're just going to see that as, okay, like you work hourly. Come on. <laughs> um, you need to make it very clear. I am not working hourly. And then, I mean, my guess You've done this a lot more than I have, certainly. Um, my guess is that they're always surprised and confused. Like, I mean, I, I just, I cannot remember the last time I spoke with a client who did not expect an hourly rate. And there was a period when I tried to give project rates or even daily rates or something, which I realize are not the same. And I mean, maybe it's just Israeli clients, but they'd say, oh, so that works out to X per hour, <laughs> right? Like they, 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 they feel like they must turn it into an hourly rate. Um, and so being I, firm about that, um, is I'm going to guess just very puzzling for them. Uh, honestly, it's not, I, I suspect that what's happening is they're picking up on your hesitation because mm-hmm. I, I, I've delivered this line so many times that I just, I just say it really matter of factly, like, like it's the weirdest thing I ever heard. Like I don't have an hourly rate. I do project pricing. So do you want to talk about the project? Mm-hmm. And they just, it really, they, it gets, it's like a speed bump. They just look, okay. They're like, okay, let's talk about that. Cause they, they're used to buying. They're used to knowing a price before they buy something because that's virtually how you buy virtually every single thing in your life. So it's not foreign. It's just foreign in this particular situation where we've developed this weird post industrial, like hourly billing culture as if we all work in a factory. So, okay. Um, it's really not like if, if I said, well, I prefer not to bill by the hourly, bill by the hour, but occasionally I do, but then they're like, uh, so there's an exception. Right. And then they're like, okay, so we can bill hourly. So what's your rate? Like I just asked you, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just, if you just reject (laughs) the notion out of hand, they're like, well, sometimes they'll say, well, I don't have an hourly rate. Let's say, well, how do you, how do you price your work? And I'd be like, I'll give you an actual price for the project. So you know how much it costs before you decide to buy it. And I, and I will chuckle just like that. And they'd be like, Oh, that, that sounds great. You know, the way you just sort of described that, the sort of mealy mouth, lack of confidence answer. I'm just imagining going into a store of some sort and saying, so, you know, how, how much is that phone? They'll be like, well, sometimes it might be like this, but it might be like that. I'm like, I, I wouldn't buy from these people, right? So, so I see how the combination of confidence and a, a clear answer um, 
can can be a, a turn on rather than a turn off. Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess that, that's the other thing. Like they're probably calling around like these people who called me. Right. They're probably calling three, four, five. In fact, I know because I got a message from him earlier today saying we found someone else. So they're basically giving the same pitch to everyone, um, which in and of itself is a bad thing. I understand. Fine. But they like <laughs> they, they basically want to work with someone who's clear about things, not who's going to spend the entire conversation hemming and hawing about how much they actually want to charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's another here's another common error at that that point in the conversation is that people, especially new students of mine, will get into a, a soapbox thing about value pricing, which is a big mistake. They're like, well, you know, they just feel like that's bad for the, you and it's bad for the project. And it's bad for me. So I do this thing called value pricing. It's great. Let me tell you all about it. Oh, and, they're, and they're like, uh, and like I, me personally, Jonathan Stark is like excited that they're, that they're excited, but that's not the right place to have the conversation. You know, I don't even mention value pricing at all to clients. I just say, I give you a fixed price. Mm-hmm. And they they might say, well, how do you calculate it? And I say, based on past experience. So just to extend my analogy a bit, so I go into the you know, the store. This is like I go into the store to buy a phone. I say, how much is it? And they're like, listen, we have the coolest just in time warehouse delivery system. Right. I'm like, I don't want to buy a stupid phone. Right. Um, I think the phone example breaks down a tiny, tiny bit when we talk about like why conversations into value-based pricing as compared to productized services. The phone yeah, strikes me more as – Yeah, it's a can of soup off the shelf. But to yeah. your point exactly, nobody cares about like your just-in-time delivery system or like how fancy the box is. It's like I want a phone. I want to call my friends. I want to be able to use the Snapchat. Sell me mm-hmm. a phone. Right. But the why, (laughs) but I think like even in that scenario, the why conversation makes sense. So somebody comes in, they want to buy a phone. Well, what phone makes the most sense? I can tell, yeah, I can tell you an iPhone X. I can tell you a flip phone. What do you do? Once a month, I call my friend and we get beer. Okay, great. You probably don't need an extensive plan. Let me recommend the best phone, the most affordable phone, and the most affordable plan for you. Hey, I'm live streaming twenty four seven. You probably need a top of the line. is it is the term feature phone, smartphone these days, super smartphone, whatever it is, top of the line phone, top of the line data plan, but only by asking these why questions can we understand what the actual need the customer has is and propose the right solution. If I walked into a store and they're like, okay, great, here's your 1997 flip phone, I'd be like, you obviously do not understand what I'm asking for. Likewise, if my mom walked in and they said, great, here's your iPhone X, here's all the features, they're selling the wrong solution depending on what the person's need is. So asking these why conversations really, in my mind, uh, surfaces so many of the background details that the client already knows but just hasn't expressed. And so by going through techniques like the uh, Six Sigma Five Whys methodology and just repeatedly asking why and just getting to the root of the question, the root of the problem, it allows you to more properly position whatever the right service offering is for the problem they are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just you really have to be sensitive to points in the sales conversation when you're having a why conversation, be super sensitive to any hint that you are making an assumption about what they mean when they say something or how it impacts their business. It needs to be spelled out dead simple. Just be like, I, I just don't understand. I, I'm sorry. I, you're probably driving you crazy, dear client. I'm probably driving you crazy with these questions, but I just don't understand why you would pay somebody like me what will certainly be a ton of money and spend all of this, all your time and resources of, of your internal employees to collaborate with me on this when I, there's no obvious business outcome. You mm-hmm. just think your brother-in-law might like your business website better if it was mobile friendly. That's not a good reason. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, you know, and eventually I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. You know, they, they can, if there's somebody's thinking about writing you a five, six figure check, there is some business outcome that they think they're going to get from it. Mm-hmm. There is, there is. And it gets a little more complicated when you're selling into a big organization that, that really they're not spending their own money. The person you're talking to is spending somebody else's money. And the, and the difference there is you need to figure out what's going to make them look good to their boss and that. But if we're talking about, if we're talking about a situation where you're talking to maybe a small business and you're talking to the owner 
somebody at the top, you, people don't just give you 1500 bucks to refresh their website for no reason. It's like, okay, well, okay. You want me to refresh your website? You see my portfolio. You know that I do good stuff. I, I know you know that you like the kind of stuff I do. You like the field. But why are you doing that? Like, why do you even want to refresh your website at all? Mm-hmm. And they're like, they'll, they'll, they have a reason. They, if you push and push and push, and, you know, maybe it's four, maybe it's five, maybe it's six Ys, you'll get to something where you are highly confident that you're not making any assumptions. They've convinced you that they're going to get some benefit out of whether it's your service or your productized service or your product that they're going to get X amount of benefit out of the engagement and therefore your price makes tons of sense. And now you can talk about it in those terms. Be like, all right, well, my website refreshes 1500 bucks based on what we just talked about. If you land one additional client per year, that would pay for itself by 10 X. So you, and do you believe that changing your website in this way and doing this refresh could net you one additional client per year? Oh yeah, I, I'm sure it will because if my confidence is going to be higher. Uh, I'll be talking to, you know, I won't be embarrassed to give up my business card anymore. I won't have to make excuses about my site being under construction. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably land like conservatively three more clients this year. Okay, great. So you think that, you know, that equals maybe $50,000 of new business and you know, da, da, da. so spending 1500 bucks for a refresh is a done deal. No brainer. One of the, uh, and this might be a base level question, but to me it was more of an advanced level question when I discovered it and started asking it is at the end of a why chain or a series of asking why questions, I will flat out ask the prospect or the client, okay, what assumptions are we making here? And then just shut up. And it's been very valuable just to hear, knowing assumptions on their part that they might not have disclosed yet. But if I explicitly say, what assumptions, like, is this all based on? They start to come to the surface and it's like, oh, okay, so we're assuming A, B, and C. Let's dive into each of those a little more and make sure we're making the correct assumption here. Since it might be, I could quickly contribute some insider expertise based on a decade of work that says, oh, you're assuming A, it's actually not A. You do not want to do this thing. Oh, you're assuming B, you are absolutely correct in assuming B. But just asking that question, bringing it to the surface, what assumptions are we making here about this project or this topic we've been discussing? It's been a valuable question to ask in these discovery focused meetings or why focused meetings. Yeah, that's a great one. Key key point though is after you ask that question and Kai said it, you shut up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great one. I never thought to ask that. That's good. I like it a lot in part because it's, it's so much more focused. I mean, I often say at meetings, so is there anything else you, you know, you want to tell me? And, (laughs) and like sometimes yes, sometimes no, but focusing on what assumptions are we making here that could be anything right it could be business assumptions it could be about their customers it could be about usability it could be time but it's going to be something that i undoubtedly didn't know Mm -hmm. um and and it also forces them just to rethink well what are we assuming? And as I assume, Kai, what happens is also as they tell you assumptions you then you know and, and you and you shut up and you and you write it down all of a sudden like this clearly opens the door or this opens the door like to a whole lot of clear questions you can follow up with like oh you're mentioning xyz assumption i don't understand that and i and i personally never have any like problems with telling a client uh, or potential client like i don't understand what you're saying here can you explain to me more you know i'm sorry to be a bother but i really want to make sure i get it and i think i mean they they love talking about their own products and services they love talking about the problems they're having mm-hmm. so they're always like no 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 it's great please yeah. like like Great that you asked that. Yeah, if I ever encountered it, I've yet to, but if I ever encounter a prospect who says, we are making no assumptions here, I'd be like, this is a big red flag. Okay, so you're telling me 100% certainty. Every single thing you shared with me, like, to a T is correct. Yes. You have a magical business, my friend. Let's let's dive into this. I have questions about that, but I think it's a great question just for uncovering potential problems, potential assumptions, or just the big red flag of, no, nah, there's no assumptions. We know everything. Well, if you know everything, to Jonathan's point, why are you hiring me? Why are you spending a uh, uh, nice-sized family car's worth of money on hiring me for this project when you already know everything? When you just said there are no assumptions, there are no unknown unknowns, why aren't you mm-hmm. hiring somebody off of Upwork to do this thing? It, I think, right. to your point, forces it to that question of why in this way? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, my brain, my gears are really turning on this one. And I think, I, th- I think I would add one word to it. Mm-hmm. If I was going to, next time around, I'm going to try this. This is a really good one to kind of, when you're getting to the point where you feel like the meeting's wrapping up and you feel like you got some, something together, I would say, okay, are there any risks and assumptions? Risks. Mm-hmm. I'd add the word risks in there. What risks and assumptions have we not talked about? Are there any risks or assumptions that we're making here? Something like I, I haven't got a good phrasing for it yet, but I have a section on my proposals called risks and assumptions. And I usually just, they're the ones that occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily, they're almost, they might be things that were discussed, but I could do a better job making it more explicit in the meeting. And that would be a great calling out any, um, the assumptions, the assumptions are really important to pull out because they're project risk factor. Well, they, they can, you know, I think Michael Port said they're resentments waiting to explode or whatever he said. Mm-hmm. Um, but the assumptions piece is super important for many reasons, but the risks, uh, but I, not for, I don't think it's important for price setting. For price setting, these, yeah, it depends on the answers, I guess. Mm-hmm. But assumptions to me are a little bit more about the project management piece once the project starts. I don't really think about them too much when I'm pricing. The risks I think about a lot when I'm pricing. And I've never asked a client what they think the risks might be. Like mm-hmm. I've never come right out and asked it. So that I will definitely be adding that to my quiver of arrows. Yeah, I, I like it as two separate questions, honestly. Since I found yeah, when I ask yeah. an or question like that, People pick one, give the answer, and then it's hard to circle back. But if you have it as right. two separate line item oh, questions, that yep. really gets to the heart of it. You're right. You're absolutely right. I totally, yes, you're, they would do that. Mm-hmm. They would pick one. Yeah. Yeah. Whichever one they're more confident in answering, which is the one we don't want them to <laughs> we answer. We don't want, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I love this. This yeah. is great. And the cool, okay, so let's, let's just, I, I want to point something out. If you do have a conversation like this well and you take reasonably good notes, your proposal is written. Yes. You, you just need to fill, the, fill it out. Mm-hmm. But, and it will use the language that they use, which, will they, will they, which they will automatically um, sort of be attracted to and excited by. Oh, he's, he, he knows how we think. How did he know to mention such and such security issues? Well, because you, you, you said it. I, I wouldn't have known if you hadn't said it. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I have a proposal template. Jonathan, I think you and I use very, very much a similar proposal template. That mm-hmm. And I've basically constructed the questions I ask in a road mapping session or a Y-focused conversation to be based off of the major sections of the proposal. So to your mm-hmm. point, as I'm going through this conversation with a prospect, I'm essentially asking them to fill in the proposal <laughs> for me. Like, okay, what are yeah. the risks? Okay, what's the current situation? What outcome are you looking for? Copy, paste, into the proposal. Great. We're using their language, which is, I think, the sign of a good proposal. But by viewing it in the way that you pointed out, if we're asking the right questions, it fulfill it fills the proposal out for us. It makes it so much easier. And to the client, it's a proposal that's written in their language, in their words. It's super persuasive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and again, I'm not, none of us are saying that you should just take their words, echo them back to them, and then just like stick a big price tag on it and expect to (laughs) ride off into the sunset on a galloping pile of money. There (laughs) there still needs to be, there still needs to be a fit. Like, Mm -hmm. like you got to go through all these questions and still at the end, both parties need to have what Ellen Weiss would call a conceptual agreement, that there's a good fit, that there's a clear desired outcome that there are metrics for uh, measuring the progress during the course of the project, uh, that there's um, just a a clear outcome and a value to the whole thing. Because otherwise I would be like, okay, I've got all these questions answered, but there's no ROI for the, you know, for the price that I would need to set as my baseline, there's no way they're going to make the money back. So I'm not going to submit a proposal. Mm -hmm. That's a possibility. But in, in the case that that isn't what happens and like, we're both like, well, this seems like a really good fit. And I'm thinking like, well, they stand to make a million on this so I can charge them 10,000, no problem or a hundred thousand, no problem. So, and, and that's way more than cover my cost. So win, win, Mm -hmm. then, okay, then I'll fill in the proposal and send it to them. I'm not just going to like be like, you know, try and kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really 
be able to put them over a barrel, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to give them a proposal when I think I'm not a good fit because mm-hmm. that would just be nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like why conversations have at least two strong uh, purposes as a freelancer or a consultant. It helps us assess the fit with the client, mm-hmm. and it also helps mm-hmm. us understand what exactly we need to put in the proposal for it to be a persuasive proposal that speaks to the client's actual need, the problem they're experiencing, the situation they're in, and the need that they have. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I, I like the proposal when it's done, just to pile, pile on about client language. I like the proposal when it's done to be something that my contact could pass around to anybody in their organization, the CFO, the CEO, CMO, the lead developer, anybody. And the value proposition would appear strong. They didn't need to be in the meeting. The, the outcomes are obvious. The benefits are obvious. Uh, you know, and it's not like, oh, first we're going to reconfigure the environment and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like, and this is the first time I've said a phrase like this, so let me know if I'm off in my assessment, but a well-written proposal is really a well-written executive summary of the problem, the situation, and the recommended treatment, the recommended intervention for that client. We're focused on the business outcomes, we're focused on answers to why questions, and we aren't really getting into the technical nitty-gritty, hey, we should use Docker instead of this, we better upgrade da 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 to this. It's, hey, the problem is... You're bleeding customers and bleeding money. The solution is we need to figure out what we need to fix. The intervention Mm -hmm. is going to be this diagnostic, this report, and then recommendation on a phase two. Anybody could read that as a summary of like, oh, we are bleeding money and it is a disaster and we need to fix it and understand what it is. They don't need to know the technical details behind what the intervention might look like. Right. You you just, you're 100% right. I don't want people to think that you should aggressively uh, not include technical details because sometimes you need to put them in so that the person you spoke with knows you heard them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they shouldn't be the focus. They mm-hmm. shouldn't be the focus. They should be something that can be glossed over by people who don't need to get it and, and they can read the rest and the proposal still hangs together. So like you could drop them out and the board of directors would be able to read it and be like, Oh yeah, this, this is a good articulation of the problem and a potential solution. And the price, you know, based on the, the cost benefit, of, you know, the, the price that the person has given us and and what we stand to gain. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Yes. And, and they'll gloss over the technical details. You might have to include technical details, like I said, because they were discussed Mm -hmm. and they're important to the person you talked to and you want them to trust that you heard what they said and you understand them. But I've never had anybody at the end of a successful project, go back and be like, oh, you didn't do some of these things that we outlined that we were going to do before we even knew what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one cares. They are almost immediately forgotten. Right. I can't think of anything oh. else to ask on this. Uh, uh, I, I was going to say, is there anything else? But I should probably say, are there any assumptions? We, we're <laughs> I was going to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, yes, uh, Ruben, to your point, uh, are there assumptions we're making here? I guess... Who does this not work for? Uh, in terms of, well, you know, this is for people who, okay, it works for people who are still green. I mean, sorry, I'm not sure if I said that right or wrong. It doesn't work for people who are still really learning their craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's probably fine because if you're still learning your craft, you love it. You're having fun doing it. You are, you just love learning more about Node or Bitcoin or Docker or whatever. You love it. It's awesome. More power to you. You making a good living, uh, a good, you know, getting you billing by the hour, you're making a good living, you're living large. You love it. Great. Eventually you'll get to a point where that's not enough. That is the person this is for. So this is for, you know, so, so right now, if you're kind of, you know, to use the medical analogy, if you're in med school still, that's cool. Do that thing. Do your internship or whatever it's called. Uh, your rotations, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, do it, fine. And, you know, put in your time. Once you've got your, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours in, you're going to be like, okay, uh, my learning curve is plateaued. I'm not learning more about my craft. I've jumped to another, you know, technology a few times because I got bored with the first one. Like first I did PHP, then I jumped to Rails, and now I'm thinking Django, whatever, the latest Laravel, whatever. And I've done that a few times. That's kind of lost its spark. And I'm not super happy with 
the amount of money I'm making. I feel like my clients are undervaluing my services. And, you know, so you've got some experience. You're starting to feel undervalued. Uh, you're in competition with people who are 10 years younger than you and you can't believe it. So that those are the people who stand to benefit the most from this advice, in my opinion. So somebody who's basically, they're really solid at their craft, maybe not a master, but they're really, really solid. They deliver good results and they're sick of being micromanaged. They're sick of being told what to do, especially when they know it's not the right thing. Uh, they're sick of um, competing on price. Then th this is your path to the next level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's perfectly put. Thanks. I'll take perfect. Should <laughs> <laughs> we look into picks? I, I, think, I think so. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, Kai, how about you? What you, what you got in terms of picks? For this sure. I got, I got two picks, two resources, and they'll both be in show notes. The first is the five whys methodology. This is actually a six sigma technique to uh, determine the root cause of a problem or a situation. And uh, we'll have a link in the show notes explaining how to use the five whys technique and uh, uh, examples on how to use it. The second is a YouTube video. I've recommended it a number of times, but I'm not sure that I've recommended it on this show. It's uh, Jay Abraham, world famous marketer. I'd say he's the marketer's marketer. He has a video, 31 minutes long, about the advanced strategy of preeminence, how to essentially position yourself as the trusted advisor in the mind of your client. And I think a lot of what we discussed on this episode really is that migration from service provider to trusted advisor. And you get there by focusing on these why conversations. So this was an incredibly influential video for me. I first watched it probably four or five years ago. Highly recommend it to any listeners in the audience who are wondering how they can become that trusted advisor for the client. Very nice. Jonathan, how about you? Uh, first, I'll give you a really on-topic link, which is to uh, a handbook I wrote called Learn Your Lines. So if you're sort of uncomfortable or unsure what to say when clients put you on the spot with questions like, what's your hourly rate? Or can you give us a discount? Or how long will the project take? When will you be done? These sorts of questions, they come up all the time. And, and most people just sort of improvise the answer every, every time. So my advice is to learn your lines. You know the question is coming, know what you're going to say back, and it projects a really high degree of confidence, which leads to trust, which leads to higher fees and more value and all the wonderful things we all want. So you can get, uh, you can get learn your lines at expensiveproblem.com slash pricing. You can buy it individually, but it also is included in the uh, top tier of uh, hourly billing is nuts. So if you buy the top tier of hourly billing is nuts, you get learn your lines and pigeonhole yourself for free. So that's one thing. The other thing I'm going to pick is non-business related, and it is called the Pro Leg Stretcher. <laughs> so longtime listeners. Not to be confused with the Amateur Leg Stretcher. I, did the, I tried the Amateur Leg Stretcher. And now my legs are a different length from each other. <laughs> so that's not good. Uh, but folks may know or recall that I am uh, obsessed with Taekwondo, martial arts in general. And when I was a little kid, there was this, this torture device looking contraption that you would sit in and it would, and you, there was this crank in the middle that you would turn to increase the angle of your legs. So you ba it's basically forcing you into a split. So, uh, 
I, I always wanted one, never had one. And my karate school recently was uh, doing a sort of a yard sale and they were getting rid of an old one and I bought it for 50 bucks and I'm absolutely in love with the thing. Uh, you can get them on, on Amazon. If you look for pro leg stretcher, you'll, you can find one for, uh, about 200 bucks. I got it for 50 bucks used. Uh, you could probably find them on eBay, but, um, it's, I mean, if you, if you do martial arts, it is amazing how fast it loosens up your, your legs and your hips. And, um, and yes, it hurts like hell, but it does work. So, uh, I can heartily recommend the pro leg stretcher. Yeah. That's it. yeah. Very Ruben. nice. So, Ruben. um, yeah, I, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, Tim Harford. He's written a whole bunch of different books, all of which are excellent. I just started a, a, a yet another one of his. I don't I don't know how the guy writes so many books and does all the things he does, but fine. And it's called 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy. Um, Tim Harford is a, a, a writer for the Financial Times and has written a whole bunch of books about economics, trying to make it accessible to normal humans. And um, this book is apparently based on a podcast that he did for the BBC. So apparently you can listen to that. Um, and when you think about 50 things that made the modern economy, um, right? It, it's not always obvious what he's going to mention. So among the inventions he talks about are the welfare state, the welfare state, uh, air conditioning, double entry bookkeeping, barbed wire, barcodes, tradable debt, that sort of thing. Uh, cuneiform, um, cause we all use cuneiform, of course, every day at work. So, um, he, he tells great stories. He explains things in a really lovely way. And even if you don't necessarily agree with all of his choices, um, the sort of path you wander until you, uh, get to the, the destination there is, is really delightful. So, uh, definitely yet, yet another winner from his, uh, amazing mind and hands. Can I interrupt for one second? Please, please. I just was Googling him and here's an interesting Kai fact for the listeners in the audience. One of his first <laughs> books, The Undercover Economist, is what got me to get an econ degree in college. It was the inspiration for me to get an econ degree. Okay, now wow. I feel because I read the book after college. <laughs> 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 but um yeah, no, it's a what a fantastic book. And, yes. and he did by the way, that was um mostly micro and mm -hmm. he came out with another one called the undercover economist i think like strikes back mm -hmm. which is about macroeconomics <sighs> i haven't read any of his stuff since 2005 and he has a library of books here i am excited thank you this is a great sure, pick. Sure. He, he also by the way did a um an advice column for the financial times for for a while called ask an economist and so people would write in with their relationship questions and he would analyze them from an economic point of view. Like, you know, what's the you know ROI on this and so forth, which was um, wise and hysterically funny. Oh, my oh gosh. man, that's too good to be true. <laughs> my brother owes me 10 bucks. How do I get it back? No, but it's, it's relationship advice as seen through the eyes of an economist. Oh, that's so funny. He's fantastic. Oh, how long to wait for the perfect espresso? Oh, this is this, this is going to show notes. Bonus pick. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, we're going to spend the next week reading this book, everyone. Um, you, however, I'm sure have other things to do between now and the next time our show comes out. If you have ideas for the show, um, please don't hesitate to contact us and let us know who we should talk to, what we should talk about. We love getting mail from our listeners. Um, Thanks to both of you for participating this week and for actually driving the conversation, I'd say. And thanks to all of you out there in podcast land for listening. And we will be back next week on The Freelancer Show. Bye. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.